nobody on a local level really has dug into it. And that's where I found the opportunity. Okay, nobody's talking about this, but it's a problem that within the industry people know about, but nobody's talking about it. Somebody should be, I guess I'll do it. Welcome to episode 460 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Ryan Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher talks with Nate Benson, a reporter with WGRZ in Buffalo, New York, along with ILSR senior reporter and editor Sean Gonsalves. Nate joins us to talk about all of the broadband reporting he's done on connectivity issues in the western part of the state over the last two and a half years. He shares the origins and results of his fall 2019 investigation into monopoly service and what the lack of competition has done to prices and availability in the city, and how he approaches producing stories on internet access that have resonated with citizens and galvanized local policymakers in the community. Christopher and Sean also talk with Nate about his continuing coverage of issues like the charter merger and its consequences, the company's lobbying power in the state, and an ongoing audit of the state's broadband grant program. Now here's Christopher and Sean talking with Nate. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today I'm speaking with Nate Benson, a journalist uh, with WGRZ in Buffalo. Welcome to the show. Christopher, it's great to be here. And, you know, uh, as a fan of the show, uh, you will not need to lecture me on the subscribers versus users argument. So I, I'm well, I'm already prepared. I, you have no idea how happy I'm in here. If I go months without people noticing that, and today I've received two comments from people who have noticed the importance of talking about subscribers versus consumers. So very uh, appreciative. Try, try to be prepared. Uh, we also have Sean Gonsalves, uh, a person who uh, I brought onto my staff from a reporting background, uh, who is rapidly rising through the ranks and is probably going to take over this show at some point. I'm just looking at the expression on his face. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> Sean, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to start off by talking about kind of why we brought you on, Nate, uh, which is that you're doing really good reporting on broadband, and we don't often see that from local news stations, uh, which is not to say that um, that I'm, I'm trying to like insult any local news stations. It's just that this is a hard topic, and often it's not something that gets a lot of coverage. And so I want to start off by asking you kind of, did you get bit by the broadband bug? What, what made you really want to lean into this uh, reporting on this? these stories so frequently? Well, I appreciate the comments regarding the reporting we've been doing. And, um, you know, to answer your question, I got to go back into my background a little bit. So I, I got into the TV business uh, in 2010, uh, joined a news station in 2013, worked there and uh, at, actually at WGRZ between 2013 and 2017, um, then made a change, went to marketing. Um, full disclosure, uh, I did not like the dark side, as we call it. Marketing was not uh, my forte. <laughs> Too many meetings. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, in news, you got to power through the day and that four o'clock deadline comes on and you got to get, get on the air. So I had an opportunity to come back uh, at WGRZ in, uh, in August of 2019. And one of my first conversations with my news director, Athen Compost, was I keep getting emails about Internet access and I don't know how to answer them. So you answer. So you figure it out. I said, okay, great. And, and I had done my previous channel too. I had done um, a segment called Innovate Western New York, where I talked with startups, research at University of Buffalo and just kind of innovation type things. So I'm always the de facto tech guy 
whenever there's a tech story in our region, they always assign it to me. And that still continues to this day. So this was kind of in the wheelhouse of technology. And, you know, when, when my news director asked me that, I just kind of started digging in and looked at the city of Buffalo. You know, we only had one carrier, um, you know, the second biggest city in the entire state, you know, and we just had Spectrum. Um, why was that? So then you're going back and looking at, you know, two, three decades worth of franchise agreements and figuring out where the complexities of that were. And, you know, our first report on kind of a broadband related issue was about why is there one carrier in the city of Buffalo? And that reporting in October of 2019 led to uh, the city council changing their policies. And within, by December, it was announced a new fiber carrier was coming to Buffalo. And, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but, you know, nobody had done an extensive report on that issue about Buffalo's issues uh, before. And all of a sudden we started doing it and then policies changed. Okay, great. That's a, that's a great win, but it didn't stop there because simultaneously I was looking at the New York state broadband program. I was looking at access issues in Niagara Orleans uh, counties, the Southern tier counties, which are very rural. I mean, Western New York is very unique because, you know, we're about the size of Massachusetts and we've got everything from cities to very rural, low density uh, populations living throughout our viewing area. Um, and then as I dug into these stories, you know, it's kind of like the movie at the end of the movie, Chinatown, you know, forget it, Nate, it's broadband. And it, I just, I kind of get more and more as I peel the onion, it just becomes more complex and fascinating. And yeah, I guess I could, you could say I did get bit by the broadband bug and, you know, now um, they pretty much know I'm going to pitch a broadband or digital gap story uh, whenever I bring up a pitch and they just say, just just go do it and <laughs> don't bother wasting our time with the pitch because we know what you're working on. Nate, it's interesting to, to, to hear your background. Uh, I can relate having come from uh, print journalism and then went to, you know, the dark side as folks in the newsroom call it for a few years. And then when this opportunity come up to get back to reporting, um, yeah. It was a, uh, it was great. So I uh, can really relate. You know, it's, it's also very fascinating to hear you talk about kind of the emails that you got and that kind of providing sort of an entree into reporting on this uh, topic. And I noticed all, you know, in one of your recent stories as you're talking about kind of the challenges of reporting uh, on broadband, it took you two years to get an interview from an official with the New York State Broadband Program Office. And I am dying to hear the behind the scenes kind of uh, back and forth that you might have gone through and, and to hear, you know, obviously why you think they were so reluctant. I have an idea, but I'd love to hear you talk about that. You know, as I started looking into broadband, obviously, you know, Governor Cuomo had a very ambitious program that he announced uh, in, in 2015, which was the Broadband for All program. And, you know, at the time uh, in 2015, I actually went to Albany. I convinced my, my my boss at the time to let me go. And I talked to uh, David Selway, who at the time was the director of that program. He has now since moved on to a different administration. And uh, I believe Jeffrey Nordhaus took over uh, the broadband office. And now uh, Scott Rasmussen is, is in charge of it. So they've had several leaders turn over. Um, really, the issue was, you know, I, I just started asking questions and nobody had looked into the program before. Um, I think everybody kind of forgot that you know the project was scheduled to be completed by the end of 2018. You know, at the time I started asking questions, it was October of 2019. So they were a little, they were at that time less than a year overdue. Um, they were reluctant to. It's it's interesting because again, nobody was really asking the question, so I think they weren't prepared for somebody to be talking about 
digging into the data. And, you know, to the state's credit, they published a lot of the data, you know, how many passings that they, they claim to have connected, all the money that they, uh, you know, had pledged and what the total investments were for everything. We're talking about half over half a billion dollars. But when you look at the data, the story really started to unfold. And the biggest thing that still remains a mystery to me was, you know, even though only $15 million of the money allocated for the project went to satellite providers, the about 30% of the people connected were connected to satellite. And that still stands out to me to this day that, you know, a program that was designed to bring broadband 100 megs to everybody, 30% of the program only got satellite, which the state continues to claim can provide the minimum of 25. I think anybody in the industry who's talked to anyone who uses satellite knows that 25 would be a godsend for any satellite user. And it's just, it's not the reality. There's a, there's a joke or sort of like a statement people have attributed to Netflix over the years and different things, but like, you know, over a certain time frame, I can deliver 25.3 by a truck. You know, I just put a bunch of hard drives in a truck and drive it around. And like on average, I'm delivering 25 megabits a second, you know, if I get that truck to you like every other day or something like that with like just zettabytes of, of data, right? I mean, like this 25.3 fixation does not describe broadband. <laughs> it's, this is clearly not good enough. And I think anyone who follows it knows that that's going to be changed in the pandemic has certainly, you know, played into that as well. Um, but going back and, you know, I asked for an interview at the spring of 2019. I said, listen, you know, I think, you know, you know, you've made some claims and, you know, but me talking on to the boots on the ground, so to speak, people who you said you've connected, tell me otherwise. So, you know, they didn't, you know, they wanted to provide statements and the statements were always 98% of the states connected. And, you know, you know, it's the first in the nation and, you know, touting Governor Cuomo, you know, the, the state broadband office is not a, you know, it's a government office, but it's within a, a corporation called Empire State Development. Empire State Development controls a lot of projects across the state. And that's, it's a way for essentially the governor's office to control what the project is doing, what information gets out and, it's just, it's a developmental tool in a lot of states, you know, not just New York have similar type programs, but, you know, ESD, as we call it, is a, uh, the tightly controlled uh, entity within Governor Cuomo's administration. Um, so it's not run like a public service commission or a department of transportation where, you know, you've got set leaders and people were kind of appointed. And, you know, the state forgot that I went and talked to David Selway at the beginning of this. And, you know, they made a lot of promises. And at the time when they announced the program, I mean, the broadband definition, I believe, was was 10 megs. I mean, it was not, you know, they changed it, I believe, in 2016 or 17, you know, to 25.3. Uh, so, I think you know, it was 2015, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. within the time, yeah, it was, it was within the time of uh, the program being announced, you know, the kind of the, the yardsticks moved, so to speak. So I, I was just persistent. I said, you know, we need to hear from somebody. Statements are not going to cut it. And, and we do the same thing with any type of politician, you know, you know, the job of a journalist is to hold people accountable and it's not necessarily to negatively hold them accountable, but it, you know, we have to verify the claims that are made. And, you know, especially the claim that 98% of the state has broadband. It's a pretty, if you know the industry and I'm not saying I'm an expert, but if you just read enough about the industry, you know, that that's a very high mark to try to hit. And one state Senator uh, continuously tells me if the governor's claim is true, then all 2% live in my district because we're, <laughs> we're very negatively impact, impacted. So, you know, it, it took persistence, you know, and there was some changeover with the public information officer for the office. Uh, I, I heard secondhand, so I can't verify that 
they finally got tired of hearing from me on a weekly basis and they just had to move to a different uh, office. Whether that's true, I don't know. I think that's inner office gossip. Um, but the person I've, I've been dealing with now, I said, listen, you, you've told me, you know, you feel my reporting is unfair. That might be true. Let me talk to somebody and let's, let's talk this out. You know, I could be entirely wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll go on the air and correct it. And we, they finally agreed to a conversation and we just published that article uh, uh, two weeks. And, you know, you know, props to Scott Rasmussen. You know, he answered all my questions. The office did ask me to uh, give them the questions in advance, which, you know, Sean, as you know, it, journalistically, you tend not to do something like that. But I felt, you know, you know, Scott was was added to this program in 2019. So the project should have been done. And he was kind of brought in way after the deadline had passed. So, it's, you know, out of fairness to him, you know, I have no beef with him. He's just the official in the chair at the time. So, you know, I, I, I kind of set aside the, the standards of journalism for a moment to, to give them those questions because I thought it was the fair thing to do. I have to say, I, um, I, I have mixed feelings about this story because I'm very glad you're out there um, tracking this down and, and making them accountable. At the same time, New York really has done more than many other states. Um, and at the same other other time, I really hate that they allowed satellite to get any kind of money because I just feel like that was probably a political decision at the time just to avoid saying we're not doing anything for those people because we're not creative enough to come up with a solution or bold enough to do something that would really be you know a precedent setting to actually get them a real solution. Um, and so I'm really glad that you're out there. I wish, you know, even here in Minnesota, where I think our program works really well, I wish we had someone who was really digging into it and asking those hard questions. It's interesting because the program did do uh, quite a bit for some areas, you know, and I'm not a statewide reporter. I mean, I can, I, I only report on the things that are impacting the community I serve. And while it's a large community, it is, it is a large section of the state. And unfortunately the program didn't, uh, didn't have the impact like it claimed it did in our region. You know, a, a good example was when the, the governor was announcing the phase two awards, um, uh, or was announcing the initial awards, he said, you know, Erie County is going to be um, prioritized in the first year. And, you know, we're going to get you guys connected up 100%, you know, by the end of eight, you know, 2018. And we actually were on the bottom percentile of those of the dollars allocated for this program uh, in total. And, you know, I, I've tried to ask, you know, I asked Scott that directly, and he couldn't speak for the governor, because that happened way before he even joined, you know, the, the program. So, you know, he, he provided a fair answer to that. I mean, there there is some things on the record from the governor. The charter Time Warner merger did play a big impact into the, the, the New York State broadband program. Um, and that's been a separate fight, uh, you know, me trying to get data on that issue as well. Um, but at the end of the day, that merger really impacted Western New York's uh, standing within that program because promises were made to Western New York um, by charter, I believe, to the state. And we don't necessarily know if there was any follow through on those promises. Do you do you feel that like reporting on charter in New York is almost like reporting on the mob? I feel like I mean, if charter to me seems more powerful than the state, the, the elected officials feel comfortable criticizing them and threatening them up to a point. But as far as I can tell, there's not a single person in power that takes seriously that New York would do anything to hurt Charter, no matter what Charter does to New York. You know, I think a perfect example of just the complexity of the Charter uh, standing within the state is this new $15 bill uh, mandate, uh, you know, and how it's going to impact other providers versus how it's going to really impact Charter. You know, there's a new provider coming to Buffalo, as I mentioned from the reporting we did, Greenlight Networks. 
And they're based out of Rochester right now, and they're slowly expanding towards Western New York. And they provide a, a you know, on paper, a pretty interesting service, 50 bucks for 500 megs. And, you know, whether they hit that target, even if they hit, you know, a third of that, that's still, you know, really good for, for our region. They're not a billion dollar company, right? They're a, a smaller, well-funded, but albeit smaller, you know, provider. You know, they, and they're, they only provide one service, you know, 500 for 50 bucks, you know, versus the Spectrum, which you know, has many tiers, can offer a variety of things. And, you know, in my conversations with, with folks there, I mean, they're very concerned about this mandate. They think it's a, the right thing to do, but it's set up. It's going to impact the smaller players versus, you know, the Verizons, the AT&Ts and the, and the charters. And, you know, when the governor singled out charter uh, in, in a recent speech saying, you know, they don't have the God-given right to, to, you know, operate in New York State. Well, we saw how that played out before, you know, <laughs> with, with the Time Warner merger and, you know, promises were made. And I've been trying to get the plan of record uh, for that uh, expansion charter promise was going to happen. You know, they've been filing with the Public Service Commission to each quarter as a, as a requirement of that merger, um, saying we've done 12,000 passings this quarter or 15,000. You know, we're so close to the goal, but always followed up with that filing is a confidentiality. We don't know where they're actually connecting. And part of my investigating rather has been what are you doing in Erie County, Western New York? Because you know, we were supposed to get broadband funding. We didn't because you said you were going to connect us. And I, I don't see any evidence of you actually doing that. You know, I'll, I'll stop short of saying it's like, you know, uh, uh, reporting on the mob. You know, I do have a, 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 a decent relationship with their, some of their folks over there in terms of, you know, uh, a typical reporter PIO type relationship where they, they usually answer my questions. It's pretty much, you know, the boilerplate statements, but they tell me things I do need to know about, about the scene. But it is a... Um, it's a complicated relationship between charter and I think the governor, I mean, one of the governor's special advisors is now had one of the top people in the government affairs department at charter. So, I mean, clearly conversations are easy to easily had between charter and, and the governor's office. Yep. And let me, um, I'm going to show my bias here, you know, coming from sure. a print journalism background, but you know, my experience as a consumer of, uh, or a viewer of, local television news, and I think this speaks well to WGRZ's commitment to covering this topic, is, is, you know, my experience as a viewer is fire, fire, car accident, uh, some violent incident. If we can't find one locally, we'll go to one of our affiliates in New Hampshire or Florida or something like that. Sports weather, and then, you know, a cute, warm, fuzzy thing. Good night. Rinse, wash, repeat. Not a lot of type of coverage like this. And so, I'm fascinated that that your coverage has been, you know, what it, what it has been, and that you've been given the, the the bandwidth, pun intended, to to cover this topic. And that he's done it better than most print journalists, just to be very amen, clear. <laughs> amen. Thank you, thank you, amen. Um, but I was actually interested to hear, you know, you know, you obviously report in a very visual medium, mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering, is is it a challenge reporting on this particular topic? Uh, you know, with all the complexities and so many parts of this that are unfamiliar to most folks. Um, is that a challenge in reporting on this? Um, you know, uh, or, or, or how do you, what, what kind of aids do you use to try to tell the story in, in a visually compelling way? Well, you know, first I'll, I'll talk about, you know, kind of your assessment of local news. And, you know, that is a fair criticism across the nation of local news, right? And, and you know, just like print journalism, you know, stations are getting gutted left and right with with staffing cuts. The pandemic has, has obviously played into complexities. And, you know, Western New York in particular, you know, we get a lot of snow in the, in, in the winter months. And, you know, 
sometimes we go all in on a snowstorm. And I think fairly people can criticize that, but I also will, will answer our ratings are never higher when it's snowing. You know, people tune in for the snow. I mean, people, you know, people, when there's a, you know, one of my, one of the most popular stories I, I was ever a part of was the Bethlehem Steel Fire. And it was the, uh, the day after the 2016 election. So everybody's, you know, um, you know, they're, re they're reacting to the 2016 election and, and who won that. And then the next morning, the old Bethlehem Steel Plant in Buffalo um, somehow caught on fire that was being used for storage at the time. And I, they never actually determined what caused it. But I came over what's called the Skyway and you could look down Route 5 and see what looked like a bomb had gone off in, in, in the town of Lackawanna, just the blackest smoke I've ever seen in my life and flames shooting up in the sky. And, you know, it, it's, it's stories like that, that immediately draw a whole community in, unfortunately, you know, that being said, you know, you know, I'll, I'll tip my hat to not only my station, but several stations in our market put in a lot of resources for investigative journalism. And, and you know, we partner with a, a nonprofit called Investigative Post who works with us as well. Um, but the other stations, you know, I'll, I'll give them credit too. They do a lot of good investigative work. Another station did a lot of the work on the, uh, the Catholic church scandal, uh, sex scandal several years ago. We did as well. We were all kind of on top of that. Um, but we invest a lot into investigative journalism. So, you know, to answer your second question, it is hard. It's very hard to make broadband visually interesting, right? And, you know, I, I try to rely a lot on graphics and explaining the data in graphic form. You know, I've, I've gone to pretty much every corner of my viewing area to get signs that I see on the side of the road, internet, you know, new internet, $99, <laughs> you know, and I've, excuse me, I've called those numbers before and it's just satellite. You know, they're always in rural countries and I'm sure Minnesota has them and other markets have them too. You know, you go out into the sticks and you'll see a sign tacked to a telephone pole, you know, and that's when you know you're in an area that does not have really any internet access. So it's certainly a challenge, you know, I, I'm fortunate I've been doing this long enough. You know, I started editing video when I was in high school. My high school had a TV station and we, you know, produced basketball games and football games. We had a morning show that was probably the worst thing in the world, but at the time it was the coolest. Um, you know, so I, I got a leg up in, you know, in doing all that. And I've just kind of honed my skills to be able to quickly create graphics looks for, you know, this story. And I, you know, to save those templates, to be able to just quickly churn out graphics. And you just have to find a creative way to, to tell that story. And, uh, you know, we try our best, you know, I've got a lot of video of just wires and, you know, cell towers and, you know, uh, little hubs of that I know have internet on them. So, uh, but it, it's absolutely a challenge, but I think, people have responded to it uh, locally because a lot of people have said it didn't feel like a boring data story. So thank you. You know, those have been some of the comments that, because investigative journalism, and this story is not necessarily investigative. It's just, you know, digging in deeper to a degree, but any investigative story, you know, can be um, hard to sell on TV because it can sometimes be very in the weeds. And, and, and obviously broadband is, is very much in the weeds. Have you found that those stories are more popular than than the story that they might be replaced by if they weren't around that day? I, and that's hard to tell, you know, unless I pitch it, you know, if they don't go with the, the pitch I've done that day, you know, I might get assigned to a, what we call a celebrate Western New York story, you know, to what Sean was saying, you know, what's the feel good story of the day and you got to have a mix and, you know, there is certainly enough happening, I think, statewide and especially in our region where I could probably produce one or two stories a week. And, you know, it does get oversaturated. And I recognize that. And, you know, I, I make the joke every every single time I pitch it. It's like I got another broadband story and we don't need to do it today, but I'm going to need to tell it soon. Um, you know, it, it can be challenging, but 
they've been popular because they've been getting results, especially those first few stories we did where it led to actual policy change. Um, you know, they were the most popular stories of the day at the time. And fairly regularly when there's news, you know, uh, when the governor was in town to officially sign the $15 bill, I mean, you know, I was working nightside that night, but I came in early to assist the team with that coverage and kind of coach them up on, you know, what this actually meant. And they actually interviewed, my own station interviewed me for the story. You know, I didn't tell the story. So it was kind of a, a unique experience because I've kind of become that expert, right? And, and again, I'm not necessarily, I have no industry experience. I've just read, read a lot of do documents and, uh, you know, followed websites like yours to, you know, keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening. I'd like to actually go back to one thing in particular that you recently reported about this audit that of the uh, that the state comptroller's office is conducting of the uh, broadband program in New York. Um, I think your reporting said it should be released soon, and so I'm curious to uh, to know. What, well, first of all, you know, do you know when that will be released, and do, and do you have you know what do you expect it will will reveal? Unbeknownst to me, when I first reported on that, I believe it was October, November. Um, the the audit actually started. Um, after some of our report initial reporting last February, they started the audit audit in March, which, you know, audits are never really a news item, you know, uh, unless a, com a controller really wants to, everything's political, right? So <laughs> usually the controllers and the governors are the, you know, are usually butting heads, even if they're both Democrats. Um, there was no initial release on this. So, you know, when I kind of caught wind of it, because I just happened to randomly ask, I'm like, by chance are you guys auditing the program? Oh yeah, we've been auditing it since March. I'm like, oh, well, great. Um, you know, they said it would be done um, soon at that point. And that was back in October, November. And, and I've followed up every month. And, you know, basically at this point, I'm like, hey, it's me, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> like, do you have any anything for me yet? And, you know, I get it. Audits are, are complex. And obviously with the pandemic, you know, you know, it's a lot harder and also audits require cooperation. And I'm, I'm not necessarily alluding that, you know, nobody's not cooperating, but and we're, we're past a year now where that audit has started. And, you know, I'm very curious when we'll get that as, as for what we expect that's going to say, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, they're looking at the dollars committed and the dollars, you know, spent and, um, and what the results were. And I don't think it's going to be too surprising if you've seen some of the reporting we've, we've done, what's going to come out from that audit. You know, there, there wasn't the dollar for dollar match that was promised. And in some instances, there weren't, weren't even close. I can understand, you know, some, some are, you know, a, a little close, but when we were talking, you know, sometimes the state would put in tens of millions and the private match was only one or two. I, I think it's just going to break down that a lot more. And in terms of the timing of when it'll be put out, you know, like I said, everything's political, you know, November's coming up, people want to get reelected. Who knows? You know, I, I'm anticipating it soon, um, but I know the office knows I want it. They said they'll get it to me as soon as they have it available. Um, because again, you know, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I've been looking at this closely. I don't think anyone besides me, at least in New York State, is actually interested in the audit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're not even, I don't yeah. even know if the controller's office is, you know, really looking forward to it. I don't know, but um, it, it's going to be interesting what that what that breakdown is because it's not, probably not going to be too surprising just based on what I've been looking at for now over almost two years, but perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps there's, you know, some gross misconduct, you know, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That just, that's just going to keep the story going. I mean, whenever government's in any project, right. I mean, there's the potential where right. everything was promised and not delivered. I mean, the big thing for our viewing area is the Armstrong communications project in the Southern tier. And the one thing I've been digging into is they, they applied for RDOF money. 
and I, I looked at the census blocks that they applied for RDOF and there are hundreds of census blocks that they were awarded funds from the state program that they've now done RDOF funding for. And I can't get them to answer my question as to why. It could be completely justified, completely reasonable. And that's, you know, again, I'm not an industry expert, but on, at least on the surface, you know, you're asking for money for funding for census blocks you should have already completed. Right. And to me that, you know, there, there's, there's smoke in that hay bale fire. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you, you expect this audit to be mostly sort of a financial audit, not so much a data audit. Because I know one of the things that you've reported frequently is about this claim that the governor continues to make about this 98% coverage, yeah. which is likely yeah. to be not true. But I, would, I, I don't anticipate it being a data audit. I could be completely surprised and maybe that is part of their investigation. They have not, they've, they've, they've told me some things and a lot of the things they've told me kind of line up to the things I've already reported. Um, if they were to do an audit like that, that would be very surprising and very newsworthy, um, mainly because there's, you know, uh, Senator Sean Ryan, who's a Western New York uh, legislator, um, you know, just got through a bill passed through the budget and through the, uh, the assembly and legislature to have the PSC do a complete uh, audit, so to speak, on its own of broadband availability. Uh, I, I've dubbed it the broadband study bill. And it was initially pocket vetoed by the governor because he, at the time he said it was an unfunded mandate and they wouldn't be able to fund it. It was $3 million at the time. And, you know, if anyone knows anything like New York state, we, we do that all the time, um, as does California. That's pretty much how those states operate with just money coming from anywhere. But, you know, so that was very surprising, but that bill has now come through and, you know, the PSC is supposed to start that, you know, audit of, of broadband accessibility, you know, within the next month or so. So I doubt the com- controller's office has done that, but if they did, that's going to be, that'll, that'll be the story. Have there been often times where you were like in the middle of the story and you were like, Oh, this is interesting, but man, the audience is just not going to go for this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, quite a bit, the, the things people tend to latch onto the most was the way the data is collected for broadband mapping. And, you know, it's, it's well-documented, you know, the way wait, the FCC... Wait, you're breaking news here. If there's data being collected for broadband mapping, I'd like to know about it because from what I can see, it's mostly invented along the way, not collected. <laughs> Sorry. And the most surprising thing to me has been just how evident that is, right? And just how... I'm working on a story, you know, because uh, Western New York has some tribal you know, land on it. You know, the Seneca Nation um, takes up some significant parts of our viewing area. And, you know, I'm working on a story right now where somebody lives on the line of the Seneca Nation. His next door neighbor has spectrum. There's other houses on the Seneca Nation down the road that, you know, are just dense, you know, as dense as the neighbors who have it. And it's a clear digital redlining story, right? They don't want to go into tribal lands. Okay, they made that decision. But again, you're looking at, you know, why? Like, like you, you, you're passing up a couple thousand customers. I don't know why. And, you know, of course, getting answers is always challenging. But there, there, there's a lot of in the weed stuff with this. And, you know, my editors and news director often, are, you know, they're, they're taking the ax to my stories. They're like, that's great. But, you know, there's no time for that. Um, the most recent example was my state broadband story had a whole a whole minute and a half section about satellite. And at the end of the day, you know, we, we couldn't have a seven minute story on the Friday night news. Right. I mean, like I'm a reasonable <laughs> reporter. I'm not going to, you know, uh, have a monopoly on the whole half hour, you know, but so we decided, okay, that's going to be its own breakout story, you know, because it it's important, but it's not 
the, the important story at the time was we got this interview we've been asking for for a year, you know, so we'll get into the, the, the satellite thing because that is a complicated topic that you need to set up, you need to explain and, and, and go on from there. But, you know, the, the one story people have really latched onto is the, when I explain, you know, what data is available and how it's, how, who is providing it and, and why. And that has led to several people saying, you know, I've typed in my address on, you know, this provider's website and they said they can provide it, but then I call them and they said, oh, they can't, you know, and when you just look at examples of that, you know, oh, they'll run a line for $20,000 or $50,000 or even $75,000 to run an 800 feet of cable. You know, you, it's frustrating because you, you don't have an answer for them, you know, you, and you just get the same boilerplate statements from whatever provider you're asking about. Digging into those those types of stories has led to some change. For example, in the town of Boston, which is uh, just south of Buffalo, you know, there was a whole whole neighborhood that was promised, uh, you know, Spectrum Cable, never delivered. I asked around, oh, well, we're going to be connecting that by the end of the year. But the, the person was told in writing, we're not connecting the street. Mm -hmm. You know, so it took our phone call, you know, to get that progress made. So it's a, it wasn't widespread, but it was a win for that street. And, I, you know, I've, I've often said, OK, well, if I have to do a story about every street in Western New York, I'll do it if I have to just to get them connected. So, <laughs> Sean, we're about out of time. Did you have a final question that you wanted to ask and answer quickly? Well, not really. I, well, yeah. You know what? One, one last thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, any, any, have you gotten any pushback? On, on, on the reporting that you've got, and I don't necessarily mean internally, but just, you know, in the community or from, you know, maybe some of the big providers. Or Anyone anything burn like your that. house down? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I have gotten pushback from the state, from the providers, you know, rightfully so. Right. I mean, you know, anytime, all in the course of business. Exactly. And, you know, they've gone a long time without anybody, not even looking under a microscope, but just asking questions. Right. I mean, local news uh, on a whole tend to only talk about internet when, you know, a bunch of people get a letter saying your bill's going up. And then you have the day turn story of the bills are going up and everybody's mad and then it's forgotten about, right? Nobody on a local level really has dug into it, you know, and, and that's where I found the opportunity. Okay, nobody's talking about this, but it's a problem that within the industry people know about, but nobody's talking about it. Somebody should be, I guess I'll do it. Um, you know, and, and the pushback, it, it really hasn't been anything you know, it's usually just public information officers or, you know, public relations people going, that wasn't fair. You know, you didn't, you know, you didn't talk to Verizon or AT&T. You only talked to me or, you know, the, the typical type of stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes, you know, I can't prevent, you know, I can't help who calls me back and who doesn't. Right. But I still have to turn a story. I and mean, that's the one thing about local news is, you know, we got to turn stuff on a daily basis. And, you know, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I, I wish I had the print journalism job where I can maybe dig in a little bit more, but print journalists too, you know, still have to turn stuff on a daily basis. Um, it's just our stories, you know, require graphics, video, interview, you know, all, the, all that kind of stuff. So it just takes longer. And I've kind of, you know, the one thing during the pandemic I've loved is people have been more accessible because of Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, whatever. And I, I've been able to churn out a lot more quickly and people have been made available. Uh, to be able to tell these stories. So, you know, we're going to keep digging into it. We're going to try to get answers. Obviously, the big, there's still questions that remain with the state program. You know, there's a huge multi-million dollar project in our area that still isn't complete. You know, we, we, we want answers on that. And, you know, basically it boils down to, from what I gather so far, is it's, it's your typical, you know, smaller ISP dealing with utility companies for access. You know, and talk about a story that's in the weeds, you know, why would somebody who has, you know, maybe Fios at their house or high speed at their house in the, in the suburbs 
care about a utility dispute in, you know, Alma, New York, that has a population of 400 people? Well, they probably don't. So we have to find a creative way to tell that story. And that's, that's the exciting and challenging part about this type of reporting for, for local news. Thank you so much, Nate. It's been, it's been fun talking about this from a different perspective. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Nate. Right, right on. W-R-I-T-E. Yeah, you know, happy to uh, happy to be here. Thank you so much for the the work you guys do and just uh, you know highlighting a lot of issues that are not only happening in New York but but elsewhere too. That was Christopher and Sean talking with Nate Benson. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org/broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle's at communitynets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 460 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.